0: The reading tonight is from Mark chapter 2, verse 23, to chapter 3, verse 6. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. He also gave them, gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life? or to kill, but they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out. And began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus.
1: Thanks, Jill. Uh, Can I pray for us? And then we'll dive into that passage together. Let's pray. Father God, as we come to your word now and hear what you have to say, Lord, please help us listen. Lord, help us learn deep at the level of our hearts. And, Lord, help us live in response to what we hear. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, I wonder what comes to your mind as you see this word on the screen. Overreaction. Okay? Is it something like this? Right? Right? Premier League footballers, at uh, the slightest mere touch, they're rolling around the floor, holding their face, holding anything apart from the one part of their body that might have had any contact on them, right? An overreaction, okay? I had a little bit of research this weekend to what might have been the biggest overreaction in history. And I came across a story from 1325, it's called The War of the Bucket, Okay, Medina, soldiers from Medina snuck into Bologna, okay, and they stole the town's water bucket. A war was fought over this water bucket, right? A water bucket stolen and a war ensued. An overreaction, right? Something small turned into something quite big. Now, as you listen to Jill read our reading from Mark's gospel this evening, I wonder if overreaction came to your mind. Particularly as she read the last verse from Mark chapter 3, verse 6. It's on the screen. Again, if you've got your Bibles, keep them open because we'll be referring to these passages throughout the evening. It says this. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might Kill Jesus. What? Right? Isn't that a little bit over the top? To kill him? Right? I've read these stories. It looks a little bit insignificant. Right? He's he's been walking through some fields. Picking some grain with his friends. He's actually helped a guy who's got a hand. that's not working properly. And you. Two groups. The Pharisees and the Herodians get together. Natural enemies get together. And what's the result? Murder murder on their hearts. What on earth is going on here for this to be the response of the Pharisees and the Herodians towards Jesus? It's a good question to ask, isn't it? Well, hopefully together, as we dive into these verses, we'll find out what's going on. And to help us, I think it's good to remember the story so far in Mark's gospel, the journey we've been on. And you see, This section of Mark's gospel is very much Jesus versus the Pharisees. A conflict. Tension has been building and building and building all the way through the previous stories. If you want to look back in your own time, you'd be very welcome to do that. But here are some examples. Okay, Going back to chapter 1, verse 22, it says this. The people were amazed at Jesus' teaching because he taught them as one who had authority. Note this, not as the teachers of the law. Oh, that must have grated them a little bit, wasn't it? Here's this guy teaching with authority. Oh, everyone's liking him and he's not liking us. Again, the second verse down there from chapter 2, verse 7. Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And 2, verse 16, you see it there. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners Tensions has been building tensions over his authority, tensions over his identity, tensions over his purpose, building, 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 building. And the key issue for us to consider throughout this whole section is this, who can be accepted by God and how does this happen? If we keep that key issue in mind, it will help us so much as we unpack this passage. You see, for the Pharisees, the answer to that question was this. Only those who are willing and able to keep God's law. Pharisees. But for Jesus, whoever comes to me. And these two responses to that question are radically different okay and that's the point that jesus makes in the few verses right before our passage this evening again if you've got your bible you want to might want to look down and just just see the language he uses in chapter 2 verses 21 and 22 he talks about sowing and he talks about wine skins his basic point is this these two answers to this question are so different that they can't be stitched together they can't be contained within one another they're so different they're not the same they're totally different and so tonight as we come to our verses this evening that jill read to us we reach the climax of this tension jesus versus the pharisees and we're going to find out that jesus well his offer compared to the pharisees offer well he offers rest not rules and the thing that he offers is received not achieved Okay, that's our direction of travel for the next 20 minutes or so. Okay, so you got your seatbelts on. Here we go. Turn our minds on and we'll get going. Okay, so first, rest, not rules. And we pick up the scene. It's almost like a movie scene, isn't it? Oh, in the grain fields. You can imagine maybe a little bit of a picture like this. The sunset maybe going down. The grain fields walking through, putting their hands through the grain. You can almost feel the sensations. The disciples and Jesus walking through the grain fields. But again, as you look down to verse 24, who else is there? The Pharisees, right? We shouldn't be surprised that they are there too. They're watching. They're waiting. They're looking. They're longing for a chance. A chance for what? Because it's interesting to note that according to God's law, what the disciples and Jesus are doing here is perfectly fine have a look at this from deuteronomy chapter 23 verse 25 it says this if you enter your neighbor's grain field you may pick kernels with your hands but you must not put a sickle to their standing grain okay in other words if you're walking through a friend's field it's okay as you go by to take a little bit to eat but what you can't do is come in with a combine harvester and take the lot right (laughs) But it it makes sense, doesn't it? It's sensible, practical, okay? A provision by God in his law for his people. So what's got into the Pharisees? What's got up their noses here that they're watching and waiting for? Well, the key word is this word, Sabbath. Okay? The key word is this word, Sabbath. The Sabbath was the last day of the Jewish week. Okay, from Friday sunset, 24 hours, all the way through to Saturday sunset. That was the Sabbath. And if you look at God's word, way back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, God had so graciously defined what Sabbath was. When he himself rested from his work of creation. Way back in Genesis, God defines Sabbath. And not only does he define Sabbath, God then establishes Sabbath in Exodus 20. When he calls his people to follow his example, his pattern and rest from their work. Okay, A gift for them to follow. But the Pharisees, they'd taken what God had defined, what God had established. They'd taken this Sabbath rest and they'd added And added, and added, and added, and added all of their own rules. Again, let me give you an indication as to what that looked like for them. The Jewish Talmud, okay, a book, a a, a religious book that the Jewish people had, it contained 24 chapters on the Sabbath law. One rabbi, it's reported, spent two years working on one of those chapters just to work out all the Manashiach detail. Okay, it was so detailed, so thorough. Here's an example. Women, okay, on a Sabbath day, you couldn't look in the mirror. In case you saw a gray hair and you attempted to pull out. Okay, that was defined as work. Okay, gents, okay, if you had something in your hand and you threw it up, you couldn't catch it in the other hand. Right? That, for the Pharisees, counted as work. It's just, they've added and added and added and added ridiculous rules and laws for people to follow and so in verse 24 here the pharisees are accusing the disciples of breaking their rules okay you see that there for them what the disciples were doing eating taking the grain and eating that meant they were reaping okay and reaping equaled working and working on the sabbath that's a no-no Okay, you see that? So that's what's going on here as the Pharisees look on to the disciples. Their real question, the real heart of the issue for them is, why are you challenging our religion, our way of doing things, our authority? Okay, you're beginning to see what's going on here in this tension. And Jesus responds to what the Pharisees question is to the disciples in three amazing ways. First, he says, look at God's word. Okay, look at God's word in verse 25 and 26. Jesus says to these Pharisees who knew their Bibles inside out back to front. He says, have you read your Bibles lately? Do you see that in verse 25? I know that would have annoyed them, wouldn't it? Because they probably memorized the whole Bible. Of course they knew what the Old Testament said. And he refers to a story from 1 Samuel 21. Okay, here is what this story was about briefly. David, King David, a Jewish king from history and his friends, they were fleeing for their life from a king called Saul. And as they fled, they were hungry. They'd left everything. They were hungry and they were needy. And they arrive at a temple, at a synagogue. And the high priest gives them bread to eat, which was only meant for the priests. But he gives it to them to eat. Now, this priest, he knew the letter of the law, just like the Pharisees would have done. He knew exactly what God's law said. But he acted... By the spirit of the law. He knew the letter of the law. But he acted by the spirit of the law. The letter said no. You're not allowed to eat this bread. But the spirit of the law. Saw their need. Saw their desperation. And acted in kindness. Need and mercy. Triumphed over ritual. And ceremony. And so the priest gave. And so that's what Jesus is pointing to here. As he. Speaks to the Pharisees and to, what are you doing? Why are you accusing my disciples? Need overcomes ritual. But more than that, Jesus is using David here to point to himself. And this whole section of Mark's gospel, Jesus does it again. Here is who I am. He says to them, remember David, right? Your hero, the greatest king in all of Israel's history. He was allowed by a priest to break a divine symbol, a divine ritual. And you wouldn't question him, would you? You wouldn't have come to David and say, what are you doing? Well, the disciples are allowed by me, someone who's far greater than David, to break your human traditions. Okay? So Jesus is beginning just to break down the Pharisees' way of life and way of religion. So there is the first way he responds to them. Look at God's word. Then he says, look at God's plan. Look at verse 27, will you? In the Bibles in front of you, it says this. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You see, way back in Genesis, the Sabbath was handmade By God as a precious gift for all of mankind. Something to be treasured. Something for man's benefit, for his rest, and for his blessing. But the Pharisees have taken that gift and turned it inside out. Turned it upside down. Turning themselves and everyone around them into rule-keeping robots. They turn the Sabbath into a burden for people to follow rather than a blessing for people to enjoy. He's saying you've got it the wrong way around. It's something to serve you as a gift rather than something you are to serve as a burden. You've got it the wrong way. God's plan. Look to it how it was meant to be. And thirdly, he says, look at God's man. Verse 28. What a statement this is. So, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, this title, this name, Son of Man, is a reference to Daniel chapter 7, where God Almighty gives someone like a Son of Man kingship, ruling over all peoples forever. It's an incredible chapter. Daniel chapter 7. And Jesus takes that title, son of man. And what does he do? He applies it to himself. It's like, hello, I am God's man. Uh, I'm the God man. I'm in charge. I'm in control. (laughs) Even of the Sabbath. Even of the thing that you think you're in charge of. No, no, no. I'm in charge. I designed it. I gave it. I rule it. You don't. Stop it. (laughs) And more than that. Sabbath. I'm in charge of it. Sabbath. I fulfill it. You see the Sabbath was given for man's benefit. To give all of humankind rest and blessing. But the Sabbath was only ever meant to be a signpost. To something bigger. Something better. We know that don't we? Jesus himself says it in Matthew 11.28. Come to me. All of you who are weary and burdened. And I will give you what? Rest. (laughs) Rest that a day can't give you. Come to me. I fulfill it. It might be helpful to pause here for a minute and. Ask a question of ourselves. What's our view of Sabbath? What's your view of Sabbath? Is it a day of rules? A day of burden? I've got to go to church. I've got to be on a rota. I've got to invite someone around for lunch. Right? I've got to not look at my work emails. I've got to not do my homework. I've got to not watch television, right? Just tick, 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 tick. Just things that I have to do or things that I can't do. And it just becomes a day that we want over. We don't really look forward to it. We just want it done and finished and passed. Or is it a day of rest? A day of blessing? Not just a day of rest from the rest of the week, but a day of rest in Jesus A chance to stop. When do you ever get to do that in the week? To stop. On the Sabbath you do. You're invited to anyway. To slow down from the busyness around us. To listen. To listen to God's word and what he might have to say to you. To share. To speak to him from your heart what's on your heart in prayer. To encourage and be encouraged as you do it, not just by yourself, but with other people, God's people from Sunday to Sunday. You see, Sabbath can be restful when it's built on relationship. But Sabbath will be a burden if it's built on rules. It's a good question, isn't it, to think about what is Sabbath to you? A day of rules that leads to burden. Or a day of rest in Jesus that leads to blessing. Well, there's our first point. Jesus, what did he come to offer? He came to offer us rest, not rules. You're doing so well. Keep going. We've got one more point to go. Because what does Jesus offer next? Well, the thing that he offers is received. It's not achieved. And this is where we come to the second story of the two that was read to us by Jill in chapter Three. Jesus is in a synagogue and there's a man there with a shriveled hand and the Greek word interestingly used there is the word atrophy again it's it's almost a picture of of a dead plant so you can almost imagine his hand it's it's dead to use it's kind of withered away It's, it's no good, it doesn't work it's withered away and so again this man we can kind of build a picture. He's a man in need. Possibly it was difficult for him to work. Possibly difficult for him to provide. Okay, a needy man. And he's here in the synagogue. And Jesus is there too. And who else is there? You bet, ya. Yeah. The Pharisees. Verse 2. And what are they doing? Watching, waiting. To do what? Accuse. Accuse him, Jesus, of healing on the Sabbath. Now, remember again what we've learned so far. According to God's law, on the Sabbath, the Sabbath principle, following God's pattern, you're called and invited to rest from your work. A gift for all of mankind. But according to the Pharisee's law, well, a doctor even thinking about helping anyone on the Sabbath, no, 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 that's work. You couldn't help anyone on the Sabbath unless... It was an absolute emergency, unless it was life-threatening. And then the doctor could intervene, maybe stop the bleeding or something like that, okay? Only in an emergency. Here we've got the man. His situation isn't life-threatening. It's bad, he's need, but he could get by another day without Jesus intervening. So, what's Jesus going to do, right? That's what they're waiting for. That's what they're looking to accuse him of. Will he heal on the sabbath and so jesus he invites the man forward in front of everyone so they can see so they can hear it's public it's in front of everyone and he asks the million dollar question here's what he says which is lawful on the sabbath pharisees to do good or to do evil to save life or to kill Right, come on. Surely, this is an obvious one, right? Surely, you don't need to phone a friend, 50-50, none of that here. Surely, there's an obvious, easy answer to do good, right? To save life. But they've got an agenda, haven't they? They've got an agenda. And so this question, they can't answer it. (laughs) They can't give the obvious answer because it just ties them up in knots, if they said, do good and save life, if that's what they said, well, then that would affirm that Jesus' healing would have been a good and right thing to do. And they don't want to do that because they want to accuse him. Right? So they can't say, do good and save life because then they can't accuse Jesus. But then if they say, to do evil and to kill, well then that just reveals their wicked hearts. And it's ironic, isn't it? <laughs> because what do they end up doing? What is on their hearts? Murder. But they can't do it. They don't want to show themselves for who they really are. They're just tied up in knots by their approach to their life and religion. So what do they do? The only thing they can do? Say nothing. Just silence. Because again, the key question of this whole section, who can be accepted by God? And how does that happen? The Pharisees say, only those willing and able to keep God's law. And if obedience comes at the cost of others, comes at the cost of good, comes at the cost of life, so be it. What a way to live. Without kindness, without compassion, without mercy, without grace. Not just to reject those things, but to stand against it. That's where their hearts are. And so what's Jesus' response? Anger. A right anger as he looks at their hearts. Their stubborn hearts. Their hearts that say, I can do it. I can achieve it. Proud hearts. Self-righteous hearts. Hearts with no room for mercy. Hearts with no room for compassion. Jesus looks and says, That's not the gospel. (laughs) That's not good news. That's not what I came to offer. I came to offer something that is received, not achieved. Let me show you. Because what happens in the next verse? He turns to the man and says, Stretch out your hand. The one thing he couldn't do. It was dead. It was useless. But what happens? Bah. He stretches it out. And it's completely restored. You can imagine, can't you, the buzz in the room. Everyone's there. They've seen it. They've saw it. It's public. Listen to this. Through Jesus, he received what he could not achieve. Let me say that again. Through Jesus, he received what he could not achieve. However much in life this man achieved, however obedient he was, however well he kept the law of God, it could never heal his hand. And what was true of his hand was true of his heart. And it's true of our hearts too. Who can be accepted by God? How does this happen? Is it only those who are willing and able to keep God's law? Only those who come with a heart of achieve. I can do it. If If I obey God, then he'll accept me. No. Keeping the law can't cleanse us from the stain of breaking the law. It's never enough. We can never do enough, have enough, be enough. To clean that stain. It's a burden. It's enslavement. It just rules based on I do. Or is it something else? Is it something that Jesus offers? Who can be accepted by God? How does this happen? Whoever comes to me. Receive. (laughs) He has done it. You are accepted. Therefore, obey. You see, Jesus kept the law on our behalf, cleansing us from the stain of breaking the law. Receive is the gospel. Receive is good news. It's grace based on what Jesus has done. Do you see the difference? (laughs) I pray that you do, because it's the difference between real and fake. It's the difference between freedom and slavery. It's the difference between life and death. Either Jesus does it all, or he does nothing at all. So as we come to land, just a few questions for us to think through. Have you, have I, received what Jesus offers Not what I can do, but what he has done for me. Received his gift of grace. But here's another question. Will you keep on receiving what Jesus offers? Why do I ask that question? Because I think in a room like this, and as I was prepping this week, I think my danger is often, I might... Trust in what Jesus offers. Trust and receive what Jesus offers to start with. (laughs) But I live as though the way on in life is to achieve. I start with receive as the way in, but move on to achieve as the way on. Let me put it this way to help us think that through a little bit more. Imagine a Sunday morning, Sunday A. You wake up and you have an hour-long quiet time. Oh, it's brilliant. You're in God's Word. You're hearing Him talk to you. A brilliant time in prayer. It's brilliant. You get to church really early, right? You're in the prayers before the service. It's great. There's loads of people there. You're praying and you say a prayer that everyone says a hearty amen to at the end. During the service, you take some brilliant sermon notes, right? And you're thinking about, oh, how am I going to be a real blessing at home group this week with the notes that I have taken? And then after the service, you're on the refreshments rotor. You make a brilliant cup of tea. And everyone says, thank you. It's delicious. After service, you see someone who's new to church and you invite them to your home for lunch. A newcomer, brilliant, and you have an amazing conversation, and by the end of the afternoon, you've agreed to meet up with them that week to start reading the Bible with them. Church comes around again in the evening, and again, you get there early because you're serving on tech, okay? And you have a brilliant time with the person you're doing tech with, and you're praying together afterwards. You go home, and you have an hour set aside to plan your week with your partner, with your husband, with your wife, and you make sure you get date night in, right? So you can have a good time with your spouse, You go to bed early, you say your prayers, and you have a brilliant night's sleep. Sunday A. Sunday B. The alarm goes, snooze. The alarm goes again, snooze. Snooze, 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 snooze. snooze. You barely make it to church on time. You haven't done a quiet time. You're distressed. Everything's gone wrong in the morning. You just rock up as the first song begins. And during the service, you're just a bit annoyed. You don't like the songs that they've picked. During the sermon, you have a little doze. And you know what? You can't be bothered with people today, so you just slip off during the last hymn. That afternoon... You spend most of it watching the television. Scrolling through your phone. And you probably watch and read some things that you know you probably shouldn't. Church time. Ah, leave it. I'll skip it today. Just don't feel like it. In the afternoon, in the evening. You have a big fight with your spouse. You say some things that you shouldn't have said. Some things that are hurtful. And you go to bed angry. Angry. You scroll through your phone for a few hours before you eventually go to sleep. Sunday A, Sunday B. What day does God accept you more? What day does God accept you more? Sunday A or Sunday B? Doesn't everything and you want to say someday, hey! <laughs> right? Because it's got to be something about what I do. It's got to be about my works. Surely the things I do have to contribute in some way. It's got to be. But is it? No. You are fully accepted by Jesus, by God himself, on both days equally. Why? Because it's receive, not achieve because it's done, not do, because it's grace, not works. But if you're anything like me, I accept that as true as the way into Jesus and relationship with God, but sometimes I act as though I live from day to day as though it's not true. I act as though I'm loved more on day A than B. If I get it right, if I have a brilliant day, oh, Pat myself on the back, I have joy, I have happiness. God loves me. He's so He's done well to have me on his team. But if the opposite is true, if I have a nightmare, if I fail, well then despair, shame, guilt, fear, I run and hide from God. Pride or shame, depending on how I do. But let's take a moment just to move ourselves out of the way <laughs> to not look in. At myself and what I do or don't do. But to look up. Who loves you? Who cares for you? Who died for you? Who looks at you just the same in success and in failure? Who gives you freely what you could never achieve? The Lord Jesus Christ. And we underst- when we understand that. When we understand it's receive not achieve. Done not do. Grace not works. For both the way in and the way on. Well then it freezes, doesn't it? It freezes to look around. I don't have to prove myself. I'm freed no longer to be scared at what God might, what might God think of me, but safe in His love and acceptance. So then I can serve Him with everything I've got. Not scared, but safe to serve. And that's where obedience comes in, isn't it? Not obey so that I can be accepted, but because I am accepted fully, completely, because of nothing I've done, then I obey. What amazing truth Jesus offers. Rest, not rules. Something that is received, not achieved. As we finish, we're going to sing two songs. But I just want to close by referring to two lines on the second song that we're going to sing. Just as a a response for you before we sing. I'm going to read through the words just a few times. The first line a few times. Then the second line a few times. It's from the song Rock of Ages. And as I read the first line, maybe just reflect on your own heart. What am I trying to bring to God that he might love me? (laughs) And empty your hands of it. And then as I read the second line a few times, maybe just reflect on the amazing grace that Jesus showed you on his cross, receiving everything that he offers and clinging on to him. So just close your eyes. I'm just going to read through the top line a few times. And then the bottom line a few times, and let this be an act of of prayer and reflection before we close in two songs. Nothing Nothing in my hand I bring. Nothing in my hand I bring. Nothing in my hand I bring. simply to the cross I cling simply to the cross I cling simply to the
2: cross I cling let's just close in prayer thank you Jesus that you are the Lord of the Sabbath Thank you that it's not a burden or a set of rules but a time to rest in Jesus a blessing a benefit a chance to slow down and listen to God's word. Thank you Father that we don't have to be successful in keeping the law through Jesus we receive what we can't achieve we're accepted by grace by believing And receiving. Help us, Lord, to keep on receiving and to keep on drawing close to you. And to conclude, may the love of the Lord Jesus draw you to Himself. May the power of the Lord Jesus strengthen you in His service. May the joy of the Lord Jesus fill your hearts. And may the blessing of God Almighty. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen.